Would you please turn with me to your study outlines? And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are watching online. We are so glad that you are with us as we do our series on the Ten Commandments uh, entitled The Former. And today we come to the sixth of the Ten Commandments uh, that we call it Destroy the Destroyer Within You. And our theme verse for this particular message, even though it's not there in your study outline, is Genesis 1 verse 27. You may want to turn in your Bibles to it, or you may want to write this reference down for future reference there in your notes. We have it up here on PowerPoint. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And our theme this morning is that all life is precious. All life is sacred because all life was made in the image of God. And to destroy that life, either verbally or through excessive anger or through uh, literal destruction, is something that violates the sixth command and that dishonors God and the image of God placed in human beings. Because all life is precious, we as a culture and society have had this fascination with murder. I mean, think about how many of our most popular TV shows are based on that, CSI. Uh, some of you may watch that, usually based on a murder. The same with Law & Order is another popular program. Now, I'm going to date myself a little bit, and I don't know how many of you will admit to being this old, but how many remember Murder, She Wrote? Anybody remember Murder, She Wrote? Well, you're interested, it's Murder, She Wrote, not Jaywalking, uh, She Wrote, and it's not, uh, you know, Parking Tickets, She Wrote. It's Murder, She Wrote. Why? Because we're fascinated by it. Uh, this uh, summer, our uh, nation has been transfixed by the George Zimmerman trial. And also, people remember of how obsessed we were with the O.J. Simpson trial. One person said during that trial, it was terrible to watch, but impossible not to watch. And there was a whole channel devoted just to the O.J. Simpson trial. Now, why is it that we're so fascinated by it? Because murder is the ultimate act of rebellion against God. The ultimate act, I mean, the first two commandments are about respecting God, and the third commandment is about respecting his name, and the fourth commandment we dealt with last Sunday is about respecting his special day. And then on Father's Day, we talked about commandment number five, which is about respecting his representatives, his authority in our lives in the form of our parents. Well, in the same way, the ultimate act of rebellion is to take and destroy a life that was made and created in the image of God. And so the sixth commandment is Exodus 20, verse 13. It's up there on PowerPoint. You shall not murder. Out loud together, you shall not murder. One more time out loud together, you shall not murder. Now, the Hebrew word here is a specific word which translated correctly here means murder. It is different than the word, for example, used in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 where we have you know, a time to be born, a time to die, and then in verse 3, a time to kill and a time to heal. These are two different Hebrew words. And so the Bible says sometimes there's a place in life where there is a time to kill, but there is never a time to murder. Now, we see that murder happened right away in the pages of Scripture. Fourth chapter into the Bible. Third human being kills the fourth human being. Skipping down to verse 8 of Genesis chapter 4. Now, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Now, first of all, let's talk about literal destruction. Three examples of what it is not. Number one, it is not accidental murder, what we would refer to as manslaughter. Deuteronomy chapter 19, this is the rule concerning anyone who kills a person 
and flees there for safety. He's talking about what they call the cities of refuge, where you would run for justice. If you accidentally killed somebody, you would go there. They'd have a trial. And if you were determined not to have done it intentionally, uh, your life would be spared. And they were called the cities of refuge, where you could run to for justice. This is the rule concerning anyone who kills a person and flees there for safety. Anyone who kills a neighbor unintentionally, without malice, aforethought. For instance, a man may go into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood, and as he swings his axe to fell a tree, the head may fall off and hit his neighbor and kill him. That man may flee to one of these cities and save his life. Otherwise, the avenger of blood might pursue him in a rage, overtake him if the distance is too great, and kill him even though he is not deserving of death, since he did it to his neighbor without malice aforethought. This is why I command you to set aside for yourselves these three cities of refuge. Just as an aside, uh, the cities of refuge are seen as a foreshadowing, a picture B.C., before Christ, of Jesus. In the same way, you could run to the city of refuge for protection, for safety, for refuge, for justice uh, to be done, in the, for forgiveness of your, of your debt, of, of your sin. In the same way, Jesus is our city of refuge. We run to him for forgiveness. We run to him for justice. We run to him for protection, safety. He is our refuge in a difficult time, in a time of storm, in a time when we need forgiveness. Now, the second example of what it is not, it is not police action of the state. Next page of your study outline. Romans chapter 13. For rulers, okay, or law enforcement, hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. I mean, you ever see a, a police car? And you instantly, if you're doing everything according to the laws, you're fine. But if you're doing something that's breaking the law, you're terrified. I mean, what do you do on a, on a freeway when all of a sudden you see the, the police car? Boom, look at your odometer, you know, your speedometer. What are you, not your odometer, that wouldn't matter, I guess, your speedometer to see am I keeping within the law? I mean, if you've got the cell phone to your ear, it whips down to your lap. You know, if your seatbelt's not on, you try to slide it over there without uh, making it, not that I do this, but I've heard about terrible sinners that do this kind of thing. And, and, and so, I mean, I remember... Uh, you know, the whole cell phone thing. And honestly, I, I have many, many faults and flaws in my life. But one of them was not talking on a cell phone. You know, now I don't even have the temptation because I've got a hands-free uh, thing. But, you know, even before I had that, I just was never tempted to do that. And yet, I'm telling you, I've done it honestly. I'm not in denial. A total of five minutes my whole life, you know, before I got the hands-free, did I actually have a cell phone to my ear. And in that five minutes, I got caught. I'm telling you, it was like, I mean, it literally was like the only time I'd done it. My daughter, Rebecca, we were driving, driving down the 57, and she's on the phone with her mother. You know, teenagers with their mother on the phone, and, and she's debating something, and she's manipulating, and that kind of thing. So finally, I said to Rebecca, just hand me the phone. Let me talk directly to your mom. Just hand me the phone. As I put it to my ear, I look to my right, and there's a CHP officer right in the line right there. I'm like, are you kidding me? And I get this ticket, and it was like, um, you know, and, and, and so at any rate, you, uh, you do not have to fear if you're not doing anything wrong. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword, even sometime the taking of life, for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath 
to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. So it's talking about uh, police action. It's also talking about capital punishment. Now, we have sincere Christians on both sides of that issue. You know, when we apply that, uh, we use that um, statement from Augustine, that wonderful pastor and theologian from 400 A.D., and it's a guiding thing within our church life, an essentials unity. That is the things that God's Word clearly teaches, uh, like the death and resurrection of Jesus and his death on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and that Jesus is uh, fully God, that he's coming back someday. These things in essentials, we are unified. In non-essentials, now it doesn't mean they're not important, doesn't mean we shouldn't study them, have convictions on them, but they are things that honest, sincere Christians can disagree on agreeably, and they're things like capital punishment. On non-essentials, liberty. We can have the freedom to be in the same church body and disagree on those things. And essentials, unity. And non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. Love is what keeps us unified, even though we may disagree on secondary issues. Uh, third is not police action of a nation. For example, when a nation goes to war to right a wrong or to deal with injustice or an evil in the world. Now, again, sincere Christians can be on different sides of this. I grew up in Virginia among many Mennonites uh, who were pacifists and so very sincere Christians who didn't believe that nations should do this or that Christians should participate uh, in the military and taking those uh, kind of actions. But the vast majority of Christians would be what I would call, they follow just war guidelines of, interestingly enough, the guy I just quoted, Augustine. We'll put his picture up there. Uh, 400 AD, this guy was so brilliant, a theologian, that his principles that he set forth for when a nation or when a nation should not go to war or when a nation should go to war, uh, 1,600 years later, modern nations like the United States look to the just war principles of Augustine to decide whether they're going to go to war or not. There were four guidelines that he gave. First of all is that there must be an aggressor doing harm to another nation or to another group of people. And so there needs to be an aggressor uh, doing evil or doing harm to somebody else. The second uh, guideline was that it needed to be a last resort. That is, you should try all forms of negotiation and other means, but then as a last resort, you may need to go to war. Then the third uh, guideline that he had is that you had to have prospects of success. You shouldn't just go to war with no chance of success just simply because there was something wrong being done. You need to have a prospect of success. You need to be, have a good chance of success if you're to go to war according to the just war guidelines of Augustine. And then the fourth one is that what needs to happen is that what the evil that you eliminated uh, must not be less than the evil you cause by attempting that war. That is, when it's all said and done, the destruction of that war should not exceed the evil that it eliminates. That is, you shouldn't uh, do something and then have something worse in its place when you remove yourselves uh, from it. And so these are guidelines that uh, Christ followers and nations even that are not Christ followers have used for hundreds of years to determine whether to go to war or not. For example, uh, World War II is an excellent example of this. Was there an aggressor doing harm? Yes, there was Adolf Hitler in Nazi Germany. Uh, was it a last resort? Yes, because they tried negotiations, they tried appeasement, and finally war was a last resort. Was there a prospect of success? Well, leaders like Winston Churchill and Franklin Roosevelt knew it would, uh, what they would pay, we would pay a terrible price, the allied nations were, but there was a good chance, they believed, of success. And did the evil they removed, was that greater than what they put in its place? Absolutely, everybody would agree. 
that Europe, particularly after the Marshall Plan and America rebuilding that continent, uh, everybody would agree that Europe is in a much better situation now than it was when Nazi Germany uh, was, was in power. And so it fits very well the four guidelines of Augustine for a just war. And so this is not referring to a police action of a nation. Now, three examples of what it is. Number one, it is the intentional taking of life by one person. Uh, This passage continues in Deuteronomy 19. But if out of hate someone lies in wait, assaults and kills a neighbor, and then flees to one of these cities of refuge, the killer shall be sent for by the town elders, be brought back from the city, and be handed over to the avenger of blood to die. Show no pity. You must purge from Israel the guilt of shedding innocent blood so that it may go well with you. Now the second example of what it is is suicide. And let me just say right from the beginning that if, uh, as a pastor, one of the most heartbreaking things I see is people in the throes of depression. And, and I know what anguish of soul people can be, and I've seen it time and time again. And, and, and I just want you uh, to know that if you are in that situation, we as a church want to do everything to help. Let one of our pastors know. We will find a, a good counselor you can connect with. We will pay for it. We'll pay for it. We'll do everything we can to rally around you in this time. But if you're contemplating suicide, don't do it. In the same way it's wrong to take the life of somebody else that is made in the image of God, it's wrong for us to take our own life who was made in the image of God. You know, people think, well, it's my life. Uh, I can do with it what I want. But it's not your life. Your life is not your own, the Bible says. It is God's life. You don't have the right But let us in no way minimize the pain that you're in. Let us know so that we can love and and pray with you and we can rally around you and we can get you every means of help that we can to help you with this difficult time uh, that you're struggling with right now. And then number three, an example of what it is, is abortion. And I want to camp here for a while, really for the majority of our remaining time, because this is a huge issue in our nation and has particularly been a big issue uh, this summer with various state laws being enacted uh, around our country. And again, let me say from the beginning that in a group this size or watching online, I, I know that there are people here who have either had an abortion or you're a boyfriend or a husband that's pressured your girlfriend or even your wife uh, to have an abortion. And I want you to know that that is sin. The Bible calls that sin. But it is forgivable sin. You can find forgiveness at the foot of the cross. As a matter of fact, the first starting point of your healing from that in your past is to go to the cross of Jesus. And it is sin, but it is forgivable sin. You can find forgiveness at the foot of the cross uh, for that sin in your past. And there is healing there. There's tremendous emotional scarring that happens in the aftermath of of, of an abortion. They won't tell you that uh, when you have the abortion, but the research has demonstrated time and time again that there is horrific uh, emotional scarring, and there is not only forgiveness at the foot of the cross, there is healing at the foot of the cross. And again, as your church family, let one of us know, let one of the pastors know, and we will rally around you for that healing, and we, and we will love on you, and we will find you if you need you know, Christian counseling. We'll find you a good Christian counselor, and we will even pay for that and make the resources there because we want you to have not only forgiveness but healing 
from that event um, within your past. We also want to say that for those of you that have chosen life when you were faced with the prospects of abortion, we honor you. We know that was a tough decision. Uh, We know that was the harder choice. And as parents, Kimberly and I, as parents, four of our six children are adopted. And we are so grateful for the parents of our uh, four children, four of our six that are adopted. We're so grateful that their parents chose uh, for them life. And we know that that was, at least in the short term, the harder choice for them to make. But having said those things, the Bible very clearly teaches that life begins at conception. Now let me talk about a, 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 a double standard that's present within our culture and society. It is so interesting to me that our culture and society is so into pro-choice and, and saying that, you know what, it, it should be a woman's choice uh, uh, whether that abortion takes place or not. Um, they have that choice in the matter, and, and, and this they would call it not a child. We would call that a child after conception, not a fetus. And they would say, well, that's kind of a gray area, and let every person, even though I'm personally against it, I wouldn't want to tell anybody else um, what, what they should uh, do. And yet the very same culture that is kind of gray on that and saying it should be a person's choice That very same culture is so passionate for animal rights. I found this so interesting. There's often a strong correlation between those that are pro-choice and those that are pro-animal rights. And and I will defend my credentials as an animal lover in just a moment, so don't get up in arms quite yet. But remember I mentioned last Sunday that we come back to Matthew 12, verse 12, where Jesus said, how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? You are more valuable than a sheep. A sheep is valuable, but you are so, so much more valuable than a sheep. Now, let me be very careful here. One of the traits of a righteous person is to care for the needs of their animals. Look at Proverbs 12, verse 10. You may not have even known that was in the Bible. The righteous care for the needs of their animals. And so it is a, the character trait of a godly or righteous person is to defend the rights of animals, to be uh, pro-animal rights, but to recognize that by far the more important thing, like Jesus says, how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Now, we've been heavy for a little bit. Let me just lighten up, then we're going to be heavy once again. But, you know, we, uh, we are animal lovers in, in our church. I, I tell you, um, at Montana, I was there preaching live at the Hangar Purpose Church, the Hangar in Montana, uh, a few weeks ago. And there is a mascot for that church named Gus. He's an Australian shepherd. He has perpetual motion. He goes all the time. And when I'm in there preaching, Gus is just part of the congregation. He wanders around. People over here, they pet Gus for a while. He goes over there. They pet him for a while. I mean, that's just part, you know, it's like communion or baptism. Petting of the Gus is, uh, you know, just all part of what's going on there. And it's part of the, the, the service. And I got to tell you a funny story about Gus. You know, Mary Todd is our campus pastor there. And they, it's called the hangar because they move the airplanes out, the airplane out. They have the service and then they move the plane back. In. They have a runway in front of it there. And Rick Todd, Mary's husband, is a pilot for American Airlines. Uh, two of their four sons are pilots. Uh, John is with Sky West, and Chet flies for a skydiving company. And anyway, John, he's the jokester in the family. So he takes up Gus in their plane. He's flying up there, and he's seatbelted in, but Gus is not. And he says, hey, Gus, you want to go weightless? And Gus is just in there, whatever, whatever, you know. And so he tips it over the plane like, like the pilots do. And so he doesn't go weightless because he's strapped in. But Gus just begins to float around. <laughs> but Gus has his revenge because he begins to go to the bathroom all over 
the cockpit. He, he is like a spinning fire hose in, in that thing, you know. And it took him, oh, weeks to get the smell out of the cockpit and, and to get that thing cleaned up. Now, you would think Gus would be terrified of the plane from then on. Oh, no, 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 not Gus. Uh, next time John goes to get in the plane, there's Gus. Let's do it again. That was so awesome. Let's try that again. Now, our family, we always do rescue animals with our cats and our dogs. We've always done rescue animals. And Kimberly, she prefers smaller, you know, dogs like boxers and beagles and bassets and that kind of thing. But I love a big dog, and I love St. Bernard's. And our latest rescue is a three-month-old puppy named Millie, a St. Bernard puppy who got abandoned. And they, they found her, the St. Bernard saving adoption. They, they found her out there, and so we uh, took Millie into our family. She is now at five months, six. 65-pound puppy is what, what she is already. Let's show another picture of there. Uh, oh, how did my granddaughter get into the picture? How, how did that happen? My goodness, how sneaky am I to get a picture of our dog and our granddaughter in the same thing? But here's the point of this. The righteous care for the needs of their animals, but how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? How much more valuable is Kylie than the St. Bernard Millie. Does anybody want to say amen to that? And so we always need to remember that within our culture. Here's what God's word teaches. Psalm 139, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. A couple of pictures I absolutely love. The first is an award-winning picture of, um, uh, it's an award-winning photo of an operation on a little girl named Sarah Marie Switzer. Uh, she's a 24-week unborn child with spina bifida. Our oldest daughter, uh, Abby, had spina bifida, but uh, we took care of that after birth over at Loma Linda uh, rather than now they can do it before birth. And, and this little girl here, she is, is about the weight and the age. She's at 24 weeks. Our son, Noah, our youngest, who was our foster child that then we adopted, he was born at 25 weeks. Uh, he was a pound and eight ounces when he was born. He could fit into the palm of your hand. And now he's on the verge of being taller than me. His big brother, John, is back there, I believe. Is Noah taller than you now, John? I think Noah's taller than John, and he's on his way to being uh, taller than me. Started out with one pound, eight ounces. But I love this picture because here she grabs the finger of the surgeon as he, he does surgery on her. Okay, here's, here's another picture. I love this because it looks like the little guy's waving to us and smiling, saying hi there. But the, the reason I put this one up there, this is a baby right about the age of where the debate is taking place in our nation right now, which is a ban on abortions after 20 weeks. This is just about the age right near. They begin to feel pain at uh, 20 weeks, and so that's where the debate is taking place right now, uh, particularly with the law in Texas that has received a lot of um, publicity here in, in the last couple of months. And, you know, you begin to think, you know, the, the nation, I don't think this, but the, the nation says, oh, you know, those rednecks in Texas, they're doing this very harsh uh, uh, abortion law. Do you know, last night before I went to bed, I heard this, but I just couldn't believe it to be true. But last night before I went to bed, I got on my phone and just looked over the abortion laws of Europe. Do you know that the Texas law that is seen as so restrictive and so harsh, do you know the Texas law is 20 weeks is what it is? Do you know what the vast majority of European countries have it at? 12 weeks. 
Texas is eight weeks more liberal than most of the nations in Europe. And I'm talking nations like France and Denmark have it at 12 weeks. And, and here the controversy is over the Texas law, which is at 20 weeks. One thing I just actually have to confess that I enjoyed a little bit. You know how in these debates, you always hope that the crazies on your side stay out of the limelight. Uh, you know, like if somebody bombs an abortion clinic, you know, that just causes the middle to, to re- be repelled uh, by the pro-life side. But um, you love it when the crazies of the other side are in full bloom. And so they had this um, march, maybe you read about it in the newspaper, um, in the Rotunda, the State House in Austin, Texas. And so they were having a rally. And so they had the pro-life group, and then they had the pro-choice group. So the pro-life group begins to sing Amazing Grace. And the pro-choice group drowned them out by chanting, Hail Satan, Hail Satan, Hail Satan. Now look, I'm no political expert But if you want to woo the heart of Texas, I doubt chanting Hail Satan is going to pull it off, okay? You know, uh, uh, they they were all saying in the aftermath of this decision, oh, this is going to push Texas pro-choice because they're going to be reacting to this very restrictive thing. And then they get in there in the rotunda and begin to chant Hail Satan. Now, if I were a political advisor to them, you know, I would say, you know, I'm not not brilliant, but let me just say, ixnay on the eight and say antche, okay? You know, just, uh, you you know, that, that is just not going to fly. Um, and, and so this continues to be, you know, the debate of our time. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, God's word is so clear. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Luke one forty four. the mother of John the Baptist, Elizabeth, said, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Uh, John the Baptist was about as far along as that little uh, girl that we saw grasping the finger of the surgeon. Um, John the Baptist was about the the size and the age of our uh, little guy Noah uh, when he was actually born. And it says that the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Uh, I read a while back a book entitled Founding Brothers. It's a Pulitzer Prize winning book uh, on the founding of our nation. And in some ways, it was agonizing to see how close they came to eliminating slavery in our nation from the very beginning. Can you imagine how much heartbreak and how much evil could have been avoided, how much woundedness in our nation could have been avoided if right from the beginning in 1776, when they formed the United States, if they had banished slavery then? And and it's amazing how close uh, they came. And I believe that abortion is the most divisive issue in our country since slavery. And I believe it's because the issue is exactly the same. It comes down to this question. Is a particular group of people fully human or not? That's what it comes down to. Is a particular group of people fully human or not? Now, in Founding Brothers, they talk about the four major concerns that the founders of our country had Um, and and continued until the mid-1800s, until the Civil War, the four major concerns that just stopped them short of just pulling the trigger on that thing and getting rid of slavery right from the get-go at the foundation of America. Here are their four major concerns. See if they sound familiar. Number one, the rights of the slave owners. And, of course, today people are concerned about the, the rights of women. 
I saw a bumper sticker the other day that said, get your laws off of my body. And I'm sure that was with reference to abortion. Well, back then, the slave owners would have had the same bumper sticker that would have been on the rear end of their horses or on their back of their carriages that would say, get your laws off of my property. That's what they would have said. And so the founding brothers, the founding fathers, they were concerned about the rights of the slave owners as we are concerned for the rights of women today. Number two, they were concerned about the social upheaval. What social upheaval will happen if we try to abolish slavery? And today, the concern is what social upheaval will happen if we try to do away with the legality of abortion? Um, Number three was the economic impact. What will happen economically if all these slaves are freed? And, And today, the big concern is if we let all these children be born, how will that impact us economically as a nation? Number four was the concern about government intervention. They said, should the government intervene to deal with slavery? Or later on, should the government intervene later on with the civil rights movement? And today, the concern is, should the government intervene in this particular area? Well, here's the thing that solved it in the mid-1800s for our nation. If a group of people is human, then these concerns must be subjugated to that thing which is right. Does anybody want to say amen to that? And so they said... Okay, all those concerns are there. But if this group of people in slavery, if they are human beings, then all of those concerns must be subjugated to doing the right thing. And I would say the same thing is exactly true today. If these unborn children from conception, if they are human, then all these other concerns must be subjugated to doing that which is right. And that's why the trademark of the early church um, was they were the ones that went out to the dumps where the Romans in the Greco-Roman world would, would dump the children that were unwanted and, and, and leave them out there to be exposed to die. And it was the Christians, the Christ followers, who had gained the reputation of going out to the dumps and taking these children in and adopting them within their homes and raising them as, as their own. That's why it was on-fire, born-again Christians. There were, there were forefront around the world of the abolition of slavery movement with people like William Wilberforce and others. It was on-fire Christians in our nation that were at the forefront of the abolitionists to do away with slavery. And it is uh, followers of Christ, on-fire, passionate, born-again followers of Jesus Christ that today are at the forefront of the pro-life movement because the issues have been the same all the way through. Those made in the image of God must be protected. Now, so far, when you deal with the sixth commandment, it feels like a gimme. Like, okay, haven't killed anybody lately, so I get a pass on this one. Uh, But actually, it's the one that we're the most guilty of. I'm the most guilty of. Because you see, Jesus expands it in Matthew chapter 5. It's not just literal destruction, it's spiritual destruction. You have said, you've heard that it is said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Expands it to being angry enough to kill somebody. Now, how many of you have been angry enough to kill somebody? Okay. It's like Ruth Graham, the wife of the famous evangelist, Billy Graham. They said, have you ever considered divorce? Because he traveled all over the country. It was very hard on their family life. Family life. She goes, a divorce? No. Murder? Yes, I have considered. And, 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 and you know what that's like in marriage. You do, you know. And, but, but Jesus said, if we're angry enough to kill, 
we are guilty of this as well. Oh, now it gets all of us. Now, rather than this being the easiest commandment to keep, it is the hardest, and it's the one where I most need to flee to the cross of Jesus Christ for grace and forgiveness. It gets even worse. Verbal destruction. Verse 22. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And Raka was an Aramaic term meaning imbecile or fool or empty-headed. And anyone who says, you fool, which is a Greek word, more, from which we get our word moron, or any equivalent word, anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, this doesn't mean we just avoid those particular words. I know I've always tried to avoid calling somebody a fool just because of this passage. And I've really worked on not saying raka to somebody, which has <laughs> been quite easy because nobody ever says raka about anything. It's, but it's talking about equivalent words. How many times have we said about a person, that person is so stupid. That person's an idiot. That person's a moron. Jesus is talking about that. You are, we, when we do that, we are verbally assassinating someone made in the image of God. And now the sixth commandment has broad application. And I come before him like I do all the Ten Commandments and say, oh God, I have broken not one, but I have broken them multiple times. My only hope is in Christ and Christ alone. It is only by his death on the cross that I can be forgiven. I am a sinner in need of the grace purchased for me on the cross of Jesus Christ by his shed blood, by his death, and by his resurrection. One final challenge as we uh, close off. I, I love this quote. Let's put it up there. It's by Og Mandino. Beginning today, treat everyone you meet as if they were going to be dead by midnight. What a cheerful way to end our service here today. <laughs> Beginning today, treat everyone you meet as if you're going to, I mean, think about it though. It's so great. I love this quote. The most person, think of the person you're most irritated by. Okay. Pastors that go beyond 11 o'clock. Well, just think of the person you're most irritated by. Okay. And, but would you treat them kindly if they were going to be dead by midnight? Yeah, we would. Beginning today, treat everyone you meet as if they were going to be dead by midnight. Extend to them all the care, kindness, and understanding you can muster. And do it with no thought of any reward. And your life will never be the same again. Why? Because that's Jesus within us loving that person who has the divine image stamped on them, created in the image of God. And all God's family said, amen. amen. Let's stand for the closing benediction. It's from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's family said, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.